and welcome to the MBOM podcast, where you'll learn to master the business of yoga. MBOM is a proud part of the Wander Barn Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Amanda Kingsmith. I'm a 500-hour registered yoga teacher, a yoga business coach, and a total business geek. Here at MBOM, you'll learn everything you need to know to create a sustainable yoga business by learning from myself and guests from around the world about how they built their yoga businesses and about how you too can become a successful yoga teacher, studio owner, and much more. All right, let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of Mastering the Business of Yoga. I am super excited that you're joining me for today's episode of the podcast, as always. And today on the podcast, I am joined by a returning guest and somebody that you might be familiar with in the yoga space. It is Kaya Minlin, and I am really excited to be joined by Kaya once again because the last time I had her on the podcast was in 2020. We were in, you know, the summer of 2020, kind of in the throes of the pandemic, and we talked about taking her in-person business online, and we had such a fabulous chat about that. And so in this episode, we kick off talking a little bit about what she's been up to over the last couple of years, how her business has continued to shift as the world has shifted in these sort of post-pandemic days. And then we take it into our main topic of this episode, which is all around Dharma. So we discuss what Dharma is, how we know what our purpose of teaching is, what the quote-unquote friends and enemies to Dharma are, advice for someone who's just starting out, and so much more. For those of you who don't know Kaya or maybe haven't listened to the other two episodes I've done with her, I just want to share a little bit about her. She is a trusted teacher guiding many of today's yoga teachers and longtime practitioners. Yogic seekers from around the world resonate with her authentic and mothering approach that threads the mystical and practical. She integrates the full spectrum of the Vedic tradition in her work, including therapeutic yoga, mysticism, and philosophy, storytelling, Ayurveda, Vedic astrology, and Vedic counseling to reveal the body and life as a vehicle for spiritual awakening. So Kaya is your go-to woman if you need anything having to do with yoga, yoga philosophy. She is just a wealth of knowledge. So I'm really, really thrilled to have her here. And just before we dive into the episode, I wanted to share that she is actually featured in my book, How to Master the Business of Yoga. So if you like this episode and you like what you learned from Kaya, you can check out the other episodes and you can also check out the book. You can head on over to mbomyoga.com forward slash book and check that out. All right, my friends, without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Here is Kaya. Welcome to the podcast today, Kaya. I'm really excited to have you here with me. Hi, Amanda. I'm so happy to be back with you again. Yeah. Yeah. This is your third appearance on the show, which is really exciting. And we've had a bit of a, a gap in time since you were on the show last. We were just chatting about this. We chatted in like the heart of the pandemic. So kind of the spring summer of 2020. And obviously life was very different at that point. So I am curious if you can just give us kind of the high level overview of what you've been up to over the last like three, three and a half years. I know that's a long time, but (laughs) (laughs) sure. Yeah, actually, I was even reflecting back on the first time we spoke and the topic at the time was having a really small but powerful um, business model where you can work deeply and effectively with a small number of people and have that be really satisfying and very much on purpose and that it doesn't have to be, you know, 
that you're following and the numbers of people that you work with does not have to be enormous to be on purpose and to be really satisfying and, and, and successful. And then in 2020, I had moved and we, I had shifted to, I had had the vision of moving about 70% of my work online in 2019, had closed my yoga therapy business and had moved and was shifting online. And then by the time we had talked, everything was online. (laughs) And I had been teaching at the time my yoga nidra training and Bhagavad Gita program and a number of sort of more um, scriptural based programs online virtually, but had not, I had just, when we talked, just started teaching asana online for the first time, really because I wanted to be able to support my students who many of whom were at home and their local yoga studios had closed. And so in 2020, teaching asana online was really fairly new to me. And I was finding my footing with how to do effectively what I had been done intimately and, and, you know, had been doing intimately in person for 20 years, how to do that in an online space. And um, so now it's been three years and we have a really well-established membership program of that asana program that I started doing, you know, sort of four weeks at a time. Let's see how this goes. And I love doing it. We have a lot of members who are longtime yoga practitioners and yoga teachers who practice with me, you know, weekly and daily. And um, so I've got that membership of asana. And then I have a second membership that started last year that's complementary to that program, but very different where we do storytelling from the Vedic tradition and yogic teachings and Ayurvedic um, lifestyle and recipes and sort of um, move through sacred time according to the Vedic calendar with Vedic astrology and the Vedic festivals of the year, like celebrating Shiva and the feminine divine and things like that. And then I think I sort of did a rough count yesterday thinking about this conversation. I've probably taught at least 40 programs online um, in the last couple of years and some of those on repeat. And I've been doing more I had always done a lot of guest faculty work in person in YTT programs and yoga therapy programs. And now I've been doing that online and more taking on part or all of the yoga philosophy component of yoga therapy or yoga teacher training programs, which is something that, you know, is really um, compatible with doing things online. So I'm happily in my quiet little village town in nature and using technology to, to share. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for sharing all of that. It's beautiful to hear the evolution of your business. And I'm curious, are you doing anything in person right now or is your business like entirely online? The very last time I did something in person was January 3rd, 2020. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And I have wanted to be doing something in person, but it's just been a matter of navigating the fact that we live in a really kind of far off distant town and, um, you know, just thinking about where to do that and navigating kids' schedules as my children have gotten older, you know, three years ago, they weren't in school and they were homeschooling. And now they both have schedules of sports and, and alternative schools and piano lessons and all of these things. So I'm actually doing a very small program in person this coming April. And I'm hoping that'll sort of just open the window 
and um, get back to some of that original vision. It may end up being more like, you know, 20 or 15% in person, deeper immersions and trainings, and then the rest will continue to be online. Yeah, that's amazing. It's it's really cool that you've been able to just like build this business. And I know that's something you were kind of manifesting for a long time. And obviously the pandemic just kind of pushed it quicker and maybe in like a bigger capacity than you'd expected. But it sounds like you've you've done amazing creating all of this stuff. And it's it's beautiful to be in, you know, a dream location, you know, living the life that you love while also doing the thing that you love. Cause so much of the time we have to compromise that, like living in a, the heart of a big, busy city to have those opportunities to go to without crazy commutes. And I love that technology offers us a little bit more balance. I'm curious if you found any like Zoom burnout, computer burnouts, how do you kind of balance like running your entire business online? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah. Although I, I want to back up and say that, you know, it, it was not at the beginning, my vision to, it wasn't, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to have this big, you know, online program. And it, the mission was never that it was really at the time, how can I teach what I love in the way that I love and share with the people that are the right fit for me. And the people had been starting to come out of the woodwork from different areas and traveling to me and it wasn't really sustainable and so the progression into doing things online and with people that are at a distance from me was really kind of slow and organic i started doing phone courses before anyone was on before there was a zoom in in 2015 wow. just because there were people reaching out to me at a distance but what the vision was was that i had these two small children and now i know that you know what that's like and i didn't want to have to be away from them and i wanted to raise them you know in a in an area that had you know nature accessible and that was a small town and was walkable and all these kinds of things so it was really more about navigating my sense of purpose as a parent with my sense of purpose um, in my work that drove us, you know, my husband and myself into a situation of working really exclusively virtually. Um, and then in terms of the burnout, it doesn't really happen for me. And I think it's because I do my best to limit my, you know, online time to my work time. I'm not doing a lot of other things online. I'm not socializing online. I, you know, I love to do phone calls with friends <laughs> and, um, you know, a lot of time in nature, a lot of getting my shoes off and walking the earth, a lot of time reading books with my children. And even when I'm preparing for my work, there's a lot of time where I close the computer and I'm writing things out by hand and doing a lot of quiet reflection um, but definitely it has to be something that I prioritize and build into my day, time in nature, time in front of my altar is a must every single day. And I think that anchors and grounds me and that has nothing to do with technology other than inner technology, <laughs> um, you know, really making those the priority and always remembering that the technology is a tool. It's just a means to an end and it's not the end itself. So I don't generally get burnout except when I'm doing long full day programs. So sometimes I'm doing a program. I just did one last week actually 
where it's a training for teachers and we really do need this extended time together, maybe four to six hours online together. And there I'm really in front of the camera, looking at the screen, looking at people's bodies in a way that I'm not when I'm doing other kinds of teaching. And I definitely am aware that that can burn me out. And so I build before and after I build into my life sort of protective measures. So, you know, I'm doing the sauna or I'm doing hot springs or I'm seeing my acupuncturist before and afterwards. And I'm, you know, really making sure that I'm buffering myself for those sort of extended times online. Hey, yoga teachers, do you work for a small studio that is in need of a reliable software solution? Too often, the smaller businesses out there get stuck using a complex software solution that's too expensive and a poor fit for their business needs. Paying too much for software features they don't need or use is literally throwing money away. But our friends at Offering Tree have stepped up to help folks just like you. They recently released a version of their studio software for boutique studios called Studio Light. This package comes with all the features you need to run your studio, including marketing automation, staff payroll, details reporting, and more. And it comes with a low price tag, a brilliant support team, and customized migration to make the transition from one software to another as seamless as possible. What more could you want? You can go ahead and book a quick demo with Offering Tree to learn more. Use the link offeringtree.com forward slash MBOM to access my partner discount of 50% off your first three months or 15% off your first annual studio light plan. Once again, that's offeringtree.com forward slash MBOM to get started. All right, now back to the episode. Mm, yeah, I love that. Thanks for sharing that because I feel like this is one of the things I hear from from yoga teachers who have been teaching and having their businesses online. But I love all those practices that you mentioned. And it sounds like you've been able to cultivate a really beautiful balance, which is is amazing and hard to do sometimes. <laughs> and uh, one yeah. of the things that I love that you mentioned is just like, and I feel like I've just been in this journey over the last, you know, year and a half-ish with my daughters, like figuring out, you know, both purpose in business and also purpose like as a mother. And I think it's one of the most difficult balances, at least for me to figure out like what is obviously my daughter is the most important, but my business is also important to me. Right. And it makes me feel like Amanda not lose mom. And that's important too, for me to show up as a great mom. Um, but it just makes me think about a good segue into today's topic in terms of Dharma and finding our purpose with teaching and stuff like that. So maybe, maybe we can head there and maybe just start with what is Dharma for anyone who, who doesn't know, or maybe they've heard it one time in a yoga teacher training or something like that. Hmm. Sure. Yeah. Let's start with the definition. I love to do that. So Dharma comes from a root sound in Sanskrit, which is dr, and dr means what upholds. So now we have to back up and say, well, what, what does that mean? What are we uphold, upholding? What? <laughs> so Dharma is what upholds and what we are upholding requires an additional Sanskrit word, which is rita. So rita means natural order, or we could say cosmic order or divine order. Some people will say natural law. I tend to stay away from the word law because it can sound really rigid and it's not because it's very much alive and always undergoing adaptation. So we have this rita, which is natural order. And dharma is what upholds natural order. And so for each of us in our lives, then that responsibility of dharma or upholding natural order is twofold. 
or has two parts to it. There is Samanya Dharma, which means universal order. And so universal order means how each of us have a role to play, a means of participating in upholding universal principles. Now, how each of us does that is going to vary. Universal principles means sort of like morals and ethics and being in accord with the greater good, the natural good. And again, this isn't rigid. So for each of us, how we participate in upholding a sort of universal big picture uh, sense of cosmic order is going to be varied. Then there is swadharma. Swa is a word that means self and dharma means to uphold the natural order. This swadharma is what most people are thinking of when they use the word dharma in sort of a modern context. And that means one's own purpose or one's own kind of inner deeper value structure and mission that drives their action. So that swadharma is your sense of purpose. And it applies to anything and everything that you do. It's really who you are as a person and how that inner anchor drives anything and everything that you do, which is going to be multifaceted and complex. So that's my own dharma or swadharma to use uh, the Sanskrit. That's a definition to begin with. Yeah, no, thank you. That's a beautiful place to start. And I'm curious, you know, how do we, how do we begin by discovering, you know, what this is? Like, is this something where we just like follow our likes, our passions, and we kind of stumble into what we're supposed to do? Do we need to be more intentional about this? Cause I think this is something that kind of gets maybe a bit confused between like, maybe just general things that are talked about in social media, things that are talked about in like YTTs. And, and I think it can be confusing for people. Yeah. So now we know what is the meaning of dharma and the immediate question is, okay, how do I know what is my dharma as you're asking? How we know is also going to depend on how each of us are built. And for some people, your sense of purpose or deep inner mission is very clear from early on and you know it. For other people, it takes a long time to unpack. It's more buried and and covered up. And that's just going to depend on one's history and sense of self and all of that. So I can name a couple sort of methods for going through a kind of a discovery process. Um, What I recommend if someone's unclear about their personal dharma, their swadharma, is to take some time to reflect. Look back at the whole of your life, all the way back to early childhood, as far back as you can remember, and see if you can pick up a thread that's kind of been with you all along. Or you might find a few threads that have been with you all along that have sort of been unchanging, even while your life circumstance has changed as you've entered different stages of life, as your community, your environment, and so on has changed, your actions have undergone changes. But is there a kind of a common thread? You can also talk to people that are close to you and have known you for a long time and kind of ask them, what do they perceive um, is 
a description of who you are or where you shine. You can also look at the times in your life presently or over your past where you've been doing something and it could be anything. It could be in your personal life. It can be in relationships. It could be in your work. Any time that you have felt in the flow of grace, where you feel timeless, where you sort of are in what people might call the zone, and it doesn't mean that what you're doing is easy, but that it feels in accord with who you are as a person, so that it feels maybe that you're there's less friction. You're not working against yourself. So if you can reflect back, journal, or talk with someone through those moments in time and then think about what is it that I'm really doing <laughs> in a deeper sense in those times. So um, I can give some examples of myself in terms of my own dharma if that would be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. If you're willing to share, that would be great. Sure. Sure. And this is something that I am constant, not constantly, but on a regular basis, I take time to reflect on this so that I can calibrate and check in if things are sort of getting off course from my purpose. So when I reflect back on my whole life, I can see that there's always been a thread where I had a skill for explaining complex concepts. So I even remember you know, my mom asking me to explain something that she was trying to convey to my younger siblings that they weren't quite getting. I remember teachers calling on me to explain things in a classroom that they were trying to convey to the class and the class sort of had this glazed over look on their faces. And I remember teachers from very long back all the way through, you know, my whole time in, in being a student, which continues to this day, teachers saying, Kaya, can you explain this in another way? And when I have taken feedback and surveys from my students over the years, this is something that they reflected to me as well. It actually wasn't something I was explicitly aware of until students started reflecting back to me that that was something I was doing for them. It was so natural to me that I wasn't aware of it until students described it. And then I was able to reflect back and see that thread. And I can see that I do it in my role as a parent. It's one of the things that I do with my children on a regular basis. And so I can see that that's the elusive obvious. It's part of who I am. And it's something that is essential in my work. If I'm not doing that in my work, then something will feel off or like it's missing. It's one of the reasons that I love Q&A time. Live Q&A is really essential to my work. One of the reasons is to have a sense of intimacy in the teacher-student relationship. And the other is um, for students to be able to ask and for me to be able to satisfy that role. It's essential for me. Um, and I think it's really important, you know, in that sharing to draw out that piece that it is often the elusive obvious because your purpose is so essential to who you are as a person and it's with you all the time, it can be really hard to see it. I'll give another example, if I may, from my personal life, and that is storytelling. Anyone who studies with me will tell you that storytelling is really essential to my work. There's always stories from the Vedic tradition, or I may draw stories from my life. Um, 
that storytelling is something that I didn't realize was something that was with me all the time because I was doing it all the time. So from childhood, I was always putting on plays. I was doing visual art. I was doing a lot of expressive arts, dance and um, theater. I was raised in a family of musicians and theater performers. And so storytelling was really part of my sort of place of birth, my ancestry, my own story. And that continued as I grew up as a teenager, I did a lot of writing and storytelling. And then even when I was at university, a big piece of the work that I almost did a PhD in had to do with telling people's stories. And so that storytelling is a thread that's been there all along. There's one more thread, which has been taking care of others. I brought my little baby brother to show and tell when I was five years old and taught the class how to change a diaper. That's, That's amazing. not normal. <laughs> yeah, no, that it's isn't. Not. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then circumstances happened in my life, you know, some painful and traumatic that sort of forced me into a position where I, I had to take care of others. But that thread was really there all along. So I really can't blame those circumstances or see it as something that's wrong with me. It's part of who I am. It's tending to the well-being of others. So as a parent, I'm always telling my children stories. It's a big part of my role as mama. We read stories every day. I tell them family stories every day. I'm always explaining complex concepts to them when they, they're always asking me to do that. And I'm tending to their physical well-being, making sure they're taking their herbs and that they're bathing in a particular way. And I'm rubbing mustard oil on their chests at night if they have a cough and things like that. That's part of who I am as a mama. And there's things that other parents do that I don't do that's not part of my dharma as a, as a mama, right? So those threads are there in my role um, as a parent, and they're all there in my role as a teacher. And I use those threads for the purpose of helping people find a sense of sacred meaning and purpose in their life. So there's that purpose for me, supporting others to find a sense of deeper meaning and purpose that's sacred in their lives. And I'm using these threads that are part of my dharma that have been there all along that are with me, whatever I'm in, whatever I'm doing in order to sort of accomplish that sort of deep mission. And then it can take many forms. So yeah, you've got to work with reflection, maybe journaling, talking with people who know you, getting feedback from people that you um, teach if you're a teacher or work with, you know, your clients that kind of draw that information out and using your own intuition as well. And then the final thing I'll say is for me, it always also involves Vedic astrology. So working with my Vedic astrologer, which is something that I've done for about 18 years <laughs> to continue to have clarity around what is my purpose and are my actions changing in different ways, adapting to the current kind of theme thread time for me as a soul? And am I sustaining that sense of purpose along the way? And so getting outside wise counsel, for me, it's Vedic astrologer. It could be a guru or a teacher or a mentor or a dear friend, but having some objective wise counsel so you don't get lost in shiny object syndrome and you stay on purpose the whole time. So these are some of the methods that I would recommend. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm curious when it comes to teaching, if somebody feels like their purpose is teaching, you know, how do they know if that is their purpose? And then within that, how do they know like what their purpose is in teaching, if that makes sense? Yeah. So I think we would even look at the word teaching because it, I do believe that there are people who are, say, yoga teachers who might feel slightly off. And it may be that what they're teaching is off or who they're teaching is off, or it may be that they've made a mistake in thinking that teaching was the thing when it actually was something else. So for example, I think you and I have probably both witnessed people that end up in a YTT program and then teaching yoga because they love yoga and they wanted to deepen their own yoga practice. They wanted to understand yoga more. So they go to a YTT program and then they follow the steps and all of a sudden they're teaching. And at some point, some of them will realize this isn't actually what I wanted to do. This isn't in tune with my dharma, but it just was a default position. And maybe they end up doing something else in the healing arts. And maybe it was the healing aspect of teaching, or maybe they end up being a therapist, or maybe they end up being a school teacher. They loved teaching, but it wasn't yoga and it wasn't yogic seekers that they wanted to teach. So I think a teacher, someone who's in the role of teaching or thinking about whether they want to be a, a yoga teacher, they really need to go through that same process that I just described, reflecting and asking questions and looking back and thinking about well, what does being a yoga teacher, for example, really mean? And what does it mean for me? And can that be in keeping with who I am as a, as a person that's changeless? How you teach, what you teach, who you teach in a way can change, but you've got to think about what is that changeless um, anchor within about me that means that being a yoga teacher makes sense for me. And then how am I being a yoga teacher and for whom needs to come out of that, although the details can undergo um, changes. I have a little prompt if you want me to share that and people could kind of do a little reflection. So we can do a kind of a fill in the blank prompt. And of course, it's not going to be perfect. You might have to adapt the language um, to meet your personal needs, but you could sort of write on a blank piece of paper. I do recommend handwriting, not typing right? My dharma or my purpose is to, and here we're going to talk about, we're talking about work specifically. Okay. My dharma is to, and then we could say establish or provide, and then it's fill in the blank. And what's the blank? It's going to be a service, a product, a platform, an offering. My dharma is to establish or provide, fill in the blank service, product, platform, offering, whatever, to inspire or support or guide or catalyze, depending on your dharma, support, inspire, guide, catalyze, blank. And there you're putting in a feeling or a sense. And then you're going to say for, and then you're going to say who it's for. And you're going to say so that they can. And then you're going to put a result. So we could say, you could even do it with parenting. My dharma is to provide. And then you're going to say, what's the service, the product, the platform, the offering, you know, to provide. And then you think about what every parent's role is different. So there's a parent that might be, uh, provide stability in the routines. 
Okay. Maybe that's one parent's role. I provide stability in routines to inspire or support and a feeling of is the blank, the feeling of, and we could say safety might be the answer, might be the fill in the blank. And then it's for who's the person, my child. (laughs) And then it could be so that they can and fill in the blank. What's the result? It might be so that they can thrive. It might be so that they can grow. And it really, again, it really depends on who your child is and who you are. And then you can do the same thing with your work. My purpose is to provide blank, to inspire blank. And that's a feeling or a sense in for whom, and then so that they can and a result. Mm-hmm. I love that. I feel like that's so helpful. And I'm curious, like, can this change or shift? Like, does your Dharma change or shift throughout your life? Yeah, it's a really good question. What doesn't change is who you are as a jiva, we would say in Sanskrit. It's very loosely translated as soul. Who you are as a person in this birth doesn't change, right? But how who you are gets expressed does change. So your dharma, that anchor actually doesn't undergo change. Now, your dharma might be multifaceted. Okay. But the outer circumstances will change. So my dharma has not changed in terms of my inner mission and my sort of skill set, how I deliver, what I deliver, um, how, the means that I use to do that at the deepest core sense doesn't change. But how I deliver it, the method, the means, and what I'm delivering might change. So I talked about my own sort of sense of deeper purpose. And it used to be that I would, I expressed that in a very small yoga therapy practice and teaching practice, you know, in a location to a relatively small number of people. And then now it's the same purpose and I'm the same person with those same threads, but I'm doing it online, not for local people. And I'm doing different kinds of offerings. I'm not doing hands-on yoga therapy, right? I'm doing other things. Um, But the deeper value structure and the dharma is utterly unchanged. This requires an inner stability, not a rigidity, right? And a flexibility, but the anchor has to stay the same. You can't just be constantly changing because you've changed your mind and you're shape-shifting who you are as a person because you don't really know who you are and you are pleasing others. And so you're adapting who you are and shape-shifting who you are in order to satisfy other people's needs or your short-term sort of goals. It has to have an inner anchor and then the outer can change, but you're always checking in and calibrating with, is the anchor the same? Can I say yes to such and such or produce such and such or teach such and such and that anchor is still sustained or do I lose that inner stability? And then you get really clear about what you're saying yes and what you're saying no to, which does require, again, that reflection and time and patience and sitting with things. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to take a quick break from the episode to talk about productivity. It seems like every one of you desperately wants to do more, to be more efficient, 
At least that's what I keep hearing about. It's what I keep seeing online. And I wanted to share a little bit about my new favorite elixir that's helped me stop procrastinating and puts a little pep in my step in the mornings. It's called Magic Mind. Magic Mind is the perfect way to start your day. It comes in shot form, or you could turn it into a latte. It's made with matcha. It's got ashwagandha in it. It's got lion's mane mushrooms, cordyceps mushrooms, and so much more. And this is one of my favorite parts of my morning routine because it helps me feel more productive and more focused, helps me get more done in less time. And I also have less stress and anxiety because it doesn't give me those coffee jitters that take my energy way up and then crash hugely. Instead, it helps me have consistent energy through the day thanks to its amazing ingredients. So if you're like me and you want to be more productive, if you want to get more done in less time, then you can head on over to magicmind.com forward slash MBOM and use the code MBOM20 to get 20% off your first order. Once again, that's magicmind.com forward slash MBOM. And when you're checking out, put in the code MBOM20 to get 20% off. All right, now back to the episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I was thinking too, cause it's like, I love the idea of like the, the purpose and like your soul and your life's path doesn't change, but it's kind of how it shows up, how you're doing things, what you're offering. And I'm curious for you, how do you determine like what you want to teach, what you want to offer based on knowing the like threads of your Dharma? How I, t- what I'm going to teach getting sort of inner information about that kind of happens in a lot of different ways. And then I take time to check in with it. So sometimes I'll get a really strong intuitive hit or moment while I'm teaching. It happens a lot in my um, asana teaching where, because in my online membership program, I do four week long series and it's always, you know, around a particular teaching point theme, uh, contemplative point from the tradition. Um, And they come in four weeks. And usually by the third class, I'll have a moment, sometimes in the fourth class, where something is trying to emerge out of me. I'm trying to say something or there's something that I want to teach, an asana that I want to share. And I'm recognizing it's connected to this series and theme, but it isn't really in it. It's it's the next thing. And so it's sort of this coming out of me, emerging in the moment, what's going to be next. And so then I'll sort of write it down and then I'll sit with it. I won't immediately, unless it's a very strong intuitive moment, then I'm like, that's it. Usually I sit with it and witness it. I write it down. I might even bounce it off my husband, who's a Vedic astrologer and say, does this make sense given what's coming up in the astrology next month? I might wait for omens Um, in the form of something happening while I'm thinking about it or omens in the form of a student asking me a question that is connected to the thing that I'm thinking about. So very often there's an inner intuitive hit. Occasionally I run with it, but usually I sit with it. Um, And that's, you know, that intuitive moment while I'm teaching. There's other times when an idea just kind of keeps coming in and I don't know where it's coming from or why something bubbling up and it might be extremely vague. And then I sit with it for a much longer time and I might go to wise counsel, my mentor and my guru lineage or my Vedic astrologer. Um, and I really take time to let it form 
So for example, the membership that I mentioned earlier, the Nectar of Time, that was something that was extremely vague um, for about nine months. I had to sit with it until it took form. And then even once I birthed it out into the world, it kind of continued to take form. So for me anyway, there's there's not a lot of, there's not like one clear means to knowing what's next or what I'm going to teach. And certainly some people teach kind of the same thing over and over again. And that's part of their dharma. There's absolutely nothing wrong in that. I'm someone that does some repetition, but I'm also always producing something new. And part of the reason for that is part of my dharma has to do with sustained relationships over time. So I have students that have been studying with me for 19 years, 14 years, 10 years. And so I'm always in a mode of being in service to that long-term relationship, which means offering new things on a regular basis. That's part of my dharma. But I want to be really clear, someone else's dharma might actually be the kind of rinse and repeat model. And there's absolutely nothing wrong in that. That's who they are as a person. And that works really, really well for some people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And it's kind of making me think that I feel like it's, you know, just in life in general, it's so easy to kind of get distracted by like the shoulds and like other people's opinions and stuff. So I'm kind of curious when it comes to like purpose and really tuning in with this, obviously we've talked about those internal practices and I think trusting your intuition sounds like a really big one, but how do we make sure we don't kind of get off path or get distracted by other people like, you know, telling us we should do this or we should do this or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. This is a particular problem for people that are in a yoga teaching profession, in my experience, because I would say about 90%, uh, and I'm almost underestimating there, of yoga teachers have a hypermobile body-mind pattern. And that pattern is one of a people-pleaser. And it's unstable. So what ends up happening is it becomes very, very easy, just as the body kind of easily goes into extreme angles, one can let themselves as a person bend to the moment, bend to the shiny object, bend to what someone else wants, um, bend to a trend out of a lack of clarity about who they are as a person. So there's a lack of inner stability an inner sense of who they are. So it's really easy to want to imitate someone else, to see someone else's success or their own resonance and want to, and think that what they're resonating with is what the other person's doing and want to imitate that or copy that. So I would say that it really does go back to that shiny object um, syndrome does go back to not having that inner stability. We really have to develop a deep sense of inner confidence. And this is really a yogic kind of confidence where you shed unworthiness. It doesn't mean you know everything because you have integrity. You can intellectually understand you, you're not perfect and you don't know everything, but also you are worthy. You're here for a reason. Your soul took birth in this life with these circumstances for a reason that's beautiful and purposeful and unique to you. 
And you've got to do some deep work on your own, or as I said, with others to get clear about that. And then when opportunities or circumstances or trends or desires arise, you can go back to that deeper sense of purpose and slowly make a choice about what's appropriate. And for those listening, if you know you have a default pattern of people-pleasing, of bending to a circumstance or bending to a trend or saying yes to things that you later regret because you realize this isn't actually in tune with who I am, I strongly encourage you to take on a practice of no. Practice saying no every time you're asked to do something or let me get back to you or I'll think about it. And make that your new default, then go back and take time to calibrate because where this pattern is there, it's very difficult. You cannot do that calibration in the moment, particularly if other people are involved that you want to please and you want to feel worthy and you want to be liked. You will get caught up in other people's likes if you want to be liked, in other words. And so you have to say, let me get back to you, or I don't know, or I'll think about it, and then retract, go to your own space, use all of those methods and take your time, and then get clear about whether this really is a yes or a no. And there you've got to be really stable in yourself and feel comfortable saying no to things and trust that the right yes is going to come along. When you see someone that you resonate with, know that you're resonating with the resonance. So I'll give an example. I have um, a friend who did this sort of color palette um, assessment to see what her colors should be that look good on her for her website and her life and her work and so on. And she was really disappointed with the outcome because she likes my color palette. And so she was like, oh, but I want to wear the colors that you wear, the neutrals and the golds and the, you know, I love how that looks on you. And we laughed because they said, but what you're loving, it's not really the colors. What you're loving is you're seeing my resonance because they're my colors. You're resonating with the resonance itself. It's not that you want the colors. You want the resonance. And so it's the same when we see someone doing something in their work and we're resonating. We're resonating with the fact that they are in tune, that they're on point with their dharma. And that's what we want. But we make the mistake of thinking it's the outer thing that we want. And we have to remember, no, it's the inner thing. So I love that they love what they're doing. They're in tune with who they are when they're doing what they're doing. And I want that for myself. Now I'm going to retract inward and think about, but what would that be for me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I love that. It's so interesting too, like with the colors, it's a, an interesting example of somebody seeing something and like wanting what you have, but it's like, they don't look the same as you, right? So if they put those colors on, it's not going to have the same impact as when they're on you. But I was thinking as you were talking just to my own life, and I feel like so much of this was resonating with me. I really feel like as you know, a teenager and into my early 20s, I was very much on a path that was not the path I was supposed to be on. And I, I kind of describe it as like, you know, I, I was working a full-time job, for example, that kind of felt like putting on a dress that was like my size, but it didn't fit, if that makes sense. Like, like wearing 
clothes that were meant for somebody else. Like it just wasn't, wasn't me. And it took me, you know, quite a while to kind of, I guess, work up the courage to, you know, say goodbye to that type of stuff. And it really took kind of like tuning out the other voices and stuff to listen to my own inner voice and to head on my own path. And it can be a really hard journey, I think, for some of us. And I think especially when you're young, like, and you don't have maybe the the confidence in yourself. And I think that wasn't instilled in me from my upbringing and stuff like that, but it was just so hard to kind of go out on my own and just do my own thing. And um, I just have so much respect for, you know, everyone who's just really tuning into what they want to do and, and taking that path, because oftentimes it's not the easiest one. Like it is the easiest one, but it's not the easiest one, if that makes sense. You're bringing up a really good point. Um, and I want to go back and, and kind of highlight it because I talked about, you know, look for the resonance, look back at those threads that have always been there. Look back at the times when you have felt a flow of grace, but it's equally as important and valuable to look back at the times when there's been dissonance, look at the times when it's been off, notice if it's off right now. And what would that, what does that feel like? So there might be an outer yes, but an inner yuck. There might be a lot of inner resistance to, to what you're doing. There might be a lack of flow, like there's a friction and a deep inner struggle or a feeling like you're crossing your own value structure in order to do the thing. It doesn't mean that when you are in resonance and when you are doing your dharma that there is an effort involved. There is effort and it might even exhaust you and there will be aspects of it that you don't like. So you can't use whether you like it or don't like it to navigate. So I'm not talking about, oh, I don't like these parts or this part's hard or it's exhausting or have to make an effort. I'm talking about looking for that deeper sense of dissonance and even depletion. The um, metaphor that I use around this is actually birth. So this is something that you've been through, but I think we can all, you know, even for those who haven't maybe given birth, you can kind of imagine this as a metaphor. So um, giving birth is effort. There's no question. You know, I joke with my clients when they're, you know, pre preparing for the pregnant clients when they're preparing for birth. I'll say it's it's one hard day. There's no getting around that. Or it's a hard few hours or it's a hard two days, you know, but it's let's say it's a hard day. Okay. They don't call it labor for no reason. It takes a lot of effort. And the birthing process is exhausting. You will be very exhausted afterwards, but you're not depleted. So it's hard work, it's effortful, it's exhausting, it's also blissful and beautiful and all of those other things, but it's resonant. When you're in birth, it is exactly what you're supposed to be doing. There's no avoiding it. There's no getting around it. There's no talking yourself out of it. You don't have to think about it. It's exactly what you're meant to be doing at that time. That doesn't mean it doesn't take effort and that it's not exhausting. After giving birth, you're exhausted but you are also in bliss and you're not depleted. So I think differentiating between exhaustion and effort versus depletion and dissonance is something that might be key to kind of navigating what is one's dharma and when are you doing something that is not in accord. There will be a dissonance or an inner resistance or an inner yuck. You'll feel it in your body. Um, 
And it might even manifest as well in the form of, you know, sickness or illness or different kinds of symptoms. And it's your body really telling you that you're not, you're not in accord. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that example. And just kind of, yeah, tuning into that. Cause I think that I can certainly relate to that, like saying yes to something or doing something where I'm just kind of like, Ooh, this doesn't really feel like right. It doesn't feel aligned. Doesn't feel what I, like what I'm supposed to be doing. And I think, like you were saying before, part of the practice is saying no to that. Um, and I was mentioning this before we hit record, but my toddler is in a huge no phase right now, which is both challenging and funny. But yeah, she's just learned the word no, and so everything is no. I'm like Lou. It's time to get in your CT breakfast. No, Mama. It's time to change your diaper. No, Mama. <laughs> <laughs> so we can all channel a little bit more of the uh, toddler. No, we can energy. all channel the yeah the toddler that says no, and she is playing. And there are things you know where where you as the parent have to override her, put your seatbelt on. No, you know, and here as adults, as mature people, and as she matures, she will. And we all learn to differentiate that deep no versus a short-term no. Short-term sort of superficial no is likes and dislikes. The Sanskrit is raga dvesha. You know, people who have studied Patanjali will know these words, raga and dvesha. And that's likes and dislikes, preferences. And they're relatively outer, you know, more superficial. And so you can't determine your dharma and make your choices in your work or your life based on like, dislike. You have to set those aside and think deeper. So I would replace like, dislike with, is this in accord or is this in discord? And sometimes what's in accord with the deeper values and the deeper mission and purpose, sometimes what's in accord you like, and sometimes what's in accord you don't like. So you have to ask what's in accord and then what's in discord, because sometimes something that's in discord you like, like my friend liking my colors, she likes the colors, but they're not in accord. So sometimes what you like is in accord and sometimes it's in discord. And so you've got to go back to that central channel. And this is a beautiful thing to teach our children. I love teaching my kids to listen to their intuition and to really hone it and also to differentiate between their short-term raga likes and dislikes versus that deeper sense of knowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a beautiful teaching to, to give to anyone, but especially to a child as they're learning and growing. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was just around, you know, especially with motherhood and stuff, like if your purpose is both with your work, but you also have purpose outside of your work. So maybe that is something like being a mom or maybe being a dad or being a parent or, you know, supporting your par- your partner or, you know, something like that. Like if we have those responsibilities that we feel like are aligned with our purpose, how do we kind of navigate these like two things that can really kind of, I guess, be at odds with each other sometimes and find that balance? Yeah. I think um, do your best to find a common thread. So where it seems like you're navigating different purposes that are in conflict, see if you can, again, reflect, kind of go inward, contemplate, is there actually a common thread here? Now you have to organize your life and maybe this is a scheduling issue and how you're ritualizing and routinizing your life so that you can satisfy the different aspects of your purpose. But is there some common thread so that you're not shape-shifting, you're not changing who you are, you're just changing different roles. Like when you change outfits, 
you're still the same body wearing the different outfits and you don't question that. So can you keep coming back to where's the common thread? I'm the same person, but I have different roles and responsibilities that are enjoined on me to do, that are in front of me to do. And you can do them kind of happily and know that you're going to do all of them and that and acknowledge that it is, of course, it's complicated. And sometimes you do have to set one thing aside in order to do the other thing, but you're not changing. I think where it feels impossible at times is when we feel that we're shape-shifting or changing ourselves in order to navigate the different um, roles and responsibilities. Um, Yeah, I think if we don't compartmentalize life, but acknowledge that Life is complicated, but not compartmentalized. And then you can sort of play and dance in all of the different roles at the same time because you are always the same person. Mm, yeah, I love that. I feel like this has been like one of my my biggest struggles with motherhood because I feel like it was this purpose that I guess maybe I kind of thought was my purpose because I felt called to have you know a child but didn't fully know until I feel like she was born. And then it was like this whole uncovering of like who I am as a mother. And then I felt like this strong, like, but how do I continue to do my business and show up in this other way? And it feels like, you know, it's so hard to show up a hundred percent for both. I think that as I've gotten further into it, it's becoming a little bit easier, but I, I love the idea of kind of thinking about it, like wearing different clothes, like changing an outfit. Like it's still, you're still the same person. You're still the same soul. It's just like you're taking on a different role in that moment, which I think is a really lovely way to think about that. Yeah. And I would say that how you show up in your work will undergo a change when you go through a big life change. So when you deepen a partnership or when you have a child or when you take on caregiving someone or when you, you know, whatever it is, change your health, change your lifestyle, big changes, but, but becoming a parent in particular is a huge one. It will change, um, how you show up in your work or who you are in your work in a sense, or what your work is, it will undergo change. But what's actually happening in my experience is if let's take your example, let's take you, Amanda, being a mother is part of your dharma and doing the work that you do in the world is part of your dharma and you're the same person. Once motherhood has come into your life, you actually are landing even more in who you are as a person because you are fulfilling that part of your soul purpose. And so you have to let that really land deeply and not set it aside when you're working. Be who you are as a mother when you're working. And it may be that how you were working or who who you were being when you were working before wasn't quite on deeper purpose because you hadn't yet fulfilled this other aspect of your dharma. So you do have to kind of let it in and then be that, be that mama all the time, including when you're working, you also are wearing a different outfit, so to speak, but you're bringing that with you. You're not setting it aside. There's this teacher out there. It's a man. And many years ago, I heard him giving a talk where he said, well, when you get home from your job, before you talk to your spouse and children, 
go into another room and meditate for 45 minutes so that you can transition into being in your householder role. And my chin was on the floor listening to this because I thought, okay, any mother in particular of children knows when you walk in the door, your babies are all over you. There is no 45 minutes of meditate. It's not possible. The only reason someone needs that is if they're being one person in their work and a different person in their home life. And then it takes them 45 minutes to change outfits. <laughs> but if you're the same person or they're not even changing outfits, right? They're changing their whole structure. If you're the same person with the same inner structure and mission all the time, then you're not shape-shifting. You don't need time to transition. You can go from your you know, yoga practice to your teaching work to your parenting or other householder roles, and you're the same person anchored all the time, but being in the moment, which allow, which means there's some flexibility. Mm, yeah, I love that. That's really, really amazing insights. And I feel like that really resonates for me. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I feel like this is a good place to wrap up, but I'm curious if there's anything else you want to share on this topic to kind of, to kind of complete it before we do wrap up today, Kaya. Yeah. Let's do a list of the enemies and the friends of dharma. How does that sound? Okay, so these are the enemies of your dharma. Something to think about. Perfectionism, intense desire and aversion, distraction, idealism, low self-worth, inner instability. And these are the friends of dharma. Trust, self-care and self-love, openness to growth, ongoing exploration, enthusiasm, rest, and time. Amazing. So really leaning into those, those friends of Dharma as opposed to those enemies. Yeah. Yes. Mm. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you for that. Um, I feel like I could just keep you here all day, but I do feel like we should wrap up. So thank you for everything that you've shared. And I'm curious if anyone wants to, you know, learn more about you, maybe dive into one of your programs, check out your membership, where can they find all that info? Yeah, they can find me at yoga with Kaya, all spelled out, K-A-Y-A dot com. And they'll find all the different programs, certification pathways, studies, memberships, all right there. And they can also find me on Instagram under my name. And we have a lot of fun there too. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming back on the show today. Thanks for this amazing chat, for all your wisdom. As always, you're just a beautiful presence to be in. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Amanda. Lovely to spend an hour with you. All right, yoga teachers. I hope that you enjoyed that episode of the podcast with Kaya Minlin. Make sure you go check her out. Give her a follow. I also wanted to share she offered us a little discount code off of her online programs. So if you guys are interested in that, you can head on over to yoga with Kaya, K-A-Y-A dot com forward slash online dash programs and use the code M-B-O-M 20 to get a discount off any online programs. And we'll make sure that there's a link for that in the show notes as well, but just wanted to share that. But make sure you go check out Kaya, follow along, see what she's up to, all of that good stuff. Of course, a big thank you to today's sponsors of the show, Offering Tree and Magic Mind. Make sure you go check them out, see how they can support you in your yoga business. And a big thank you to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And thanks for all of your support. That's all for me. And I will see you guys next week. Okay. Bye for now. Thank you so much for tuning in for this episode of the podcast. 
To find links, notes, resources, and everything mentioned in today and all episodes of the show, you can head on over to mbomyoga.com. You can find the podcast and myself on Facebook and social media at Mastering the Business of Yoga. And I would love for you to join the private Facebook community, Yoga Business Badasses. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please make sure you reach out to me at info at mbomyoga.com. And last of all, if you enjoyed this episode of the show, please make sure you hit subscribe and leave a review for the podcast. It would mean the world. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week. Namaste. Namaste.